Good morning. Now, you might be wondering why my face popped up on your screen this morning. Honey, did somebody change the channel? Is the twilight zone on? <laughs> well, you know the old saying, the, the cat came back. Actually, Pastor Nick asked me to, uh, to speak this Sunday, so, uh, so here I am. Uh, before I begin, I just want to take a moment to express uh, heartfelt thanks to all of you who are uh, praying for me um, as, we, uh, as I go through this uh, valley called Cancer. I have, uh, overall, I'd like to say I'm doing, uh, I'm doing well. Um, I've had some issues with the treatments, of course, and, uh, but that's, that's common. But uh, other than that, I'm uh, very grateful for how well I am doing, and I'm grateful and believing that it's because of the, the prayers of, the, of so many of you that are carrying uh, uh, me through this time. So Betty and I just wanted you to know that your prayers uh, on our behalf are, are greatly appreciated. Well, Pastor Nick asked me to... Uh, speak on Psalm 81. That's my assignment. So here's a bit of the game plan for unwrapping the passages this morning. First, uh, <clears throat> first to make an observation, then a timeless truth, a painful lament, and then we'll wrap up at the end of it with uh, some uh, practical implications of uh, what, the, what this passage might be saying to us. So let me begin. I'll read the first uh, five verses of Psalm 81. Sing for joy to the Lord our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. Begin, begin the music. Strike the timbrel. Play the melodious harp and lyre. Sound the ram's horn at new moon, when the moon is full on the day of our festival. This is a decree for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. When God went out against Egypt, he established it as a statute for Joseph. I heard an unknown voice say, and we'll stop there. First, this is the observation I'd like to make um, about the genesis of the psalm or how, how it came to being. Asaph, the author of the psalm, was writing uh, against the backdrop of the Babylonian invasion of their land, uh, the defeat of their people, and uh, then uh, subsequently uh, carried off into exile of captivity. This is a time of great humiliation, of grief, and of sorrow for the further nation. Uh, great suffering was experienced. And uh, you've heard that already in the previous sermons uh, in this uh, Desperate Faith series. Asaph is preparing a liturgy um, here for a lively and enthusiastic worship. Did you get the words? Sing for joy, shout loudly, strike the timbrel, play the harp and lyre, sound the ram's horn. Now earlier in Israel's history, God had, uh, had, had established specific times when God's people were to get together to uh, feast and celebrate all the, all the blessings in their lives. And during that time, they would uh, sing or recite uh, a lot of the psalms that, uh, that we have contained in our Bible. And uh, historically, Psalm 81 would be a psalm that they would use at uh, the festival that uh, they celebrated in the seventh month of the year, which was uh, the, uh, probably the most holy and most important month in the Jewish calendar. So I'm going to make a bit of an assumption here, and if you don't agree with my assumption, you can talk, take it off with Nick, because I plan to be out of town next week. I imagine or assume that this uh, genesis of this psalm happened one day when Asaph was, was in a quiet place by himself, uh, reflecting, preparing the uh, liturgy that uh, would make up Psalm 81, and then to be used by God's people in their, their time of worship. And as he's running it through his mind and uh, putting the words and the instruments together that they would use for that time of worship, um, his thoughts are suddenly interrupted. 
And this is the assumption I have is that uh, the interruption was of this unknown voice as it's mentioned in verse 5 was actually the voice of God. Uh, theologians have some different views of what that meant and some uh, translations have uh, mentioned an, an unknown vo uh, language there which uh, they have different interpretations of what that might mean but uh, I'm going to take it as face, at face value and say this was actually the voice of God. Perhaps it came as a gentle whisper or something more, more audible but however it came, Asaph recorded it and made it part of, uh, of Psalm 81. And when God spoke to Asaph in that time, it changed the whole direction of the psalm. Asaph began with recording the words that they would use to worship God, but then it shifts to the words that God would speak to his people while they worshipped. So Asaph recorded it, what he heard, and a new song emerged, and it became part of the Hebrew songbook, Psalm 81. That's the observation I would like to make. But then the second thought is a timeless truth. And if we notice the next verses here, just listen. See if you get it. I removed the burden from their shoulders. Their hands were set free from the basket. In your distress you called and I rescued you. I answered you out of the thundercloud. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear me, my people, and I will warn you. If you would only listen to me, Israel... You shall have no foreign god among you. You shall not worship any other god than me. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. If my people would only listen to me, if Israel would only follow my ways. The oft-repeated word in, those, uh, in this passage is the pronoun I. And it leaves no doubt that the person speaking here is, is God. God is speaking to his people. And this, I suggest, is a timeless truth. The fact that God speaks to his people. From Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis all the way through to the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, God has spoken to his people. We have the record of his speaking. Of his, we have a record here of God speaking to his people all through, all through history. Sometimes he spoke directly and audibly, sometimes he spoke with a gentle whisper, and sometimes through a, a storm. At other times, he spoke through dreams and visions of the Holy Spirit. He spoke to and from the patriarchs, the judges, the kings, the priests, the prophets, and the apostles. Hebrews 11, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 has these words for us, which in some ways is a bit of a summary of all that, all that I've just been trying to say. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2. Sorry. In, past, in, in, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom all, he made all things in the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. But in those first two verses there, we see that God has, it attests, it affirms that God has spoken in the past through their, all their ancestors, the prophets, at many times in many different ways, but in these last days, he's spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. God is speaking through the person and life of Jesus. God always has and God always will speak to his people. His methods change. 
And sometimes the message changed. But God has a commitment to communicate with us. It's part of a relationship. He speaks to his people and that's a timeless truth that we should find great encouragement in. So God is speaking, but what is he saying in these, in these verses to his people? His words reference their history, their deliverance from slavery, and their miraculous journey through the harsh wilderness. God is calling them to remember his presence and his activity in their lives all throughout history. He has proved himself to be a faithful God again and again and again. It's like God was presenting them with, with his resume to prove to them that he had been faithful to them, that he'd been with them all through history. He has earned their trust and their obedience. And he wants them to remember who they were and whose they were. They were his chosen people. There's an important connection here between remembering and believing. Remembering what God has done in the past was instrumental in sustaining their faith for the future. Remembering their faithfulness of their God in the past was a vital part of helping them to keep on believing, especially when times are tough or their faith was weak or they're facing insurmountable odds. If they could just remember and look back at how God had faithfully led them up to that point, then perhaps they'd have the faith to keep on going and keep on trusting him. Remembering is important for us as well. It's important that we remember what God has done in our lives, how he saved us, how he adopted us into his family, how he gave us new life in Christ. That's why we celebrate communion, because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Remembering how God has faithfully led us in the past helps us to trust him for today and in the days ahead. And now if I could draw your attention to verses 8, 11, and 13. <clears throat> the last part of, of eight, verse 8. If you would only listen to me, but my people would not listen to me, verse 11. If my people would only listen to me, verse 13. No, you can't hear those words and not hear the heart of God behind it all. You'd have to either be sleeping deaf or both if you, could, if you don't hear the passionate plea of a loving God behind those words. It's a painful lament. And that's the third point. God is lamenting over the choices that his people are making. A lament is an expression of deep sadness, sorrow, or grief. God is lamenting the fact that his people have not listened to him. His people have ignored his word. They've neglected it. They've rejected it. He's lamenting the fact that again and again he has warned them. He's pleaded with them. He's begged them. But they're not listening. He's warning them of the consequences awaiting them if they continue down the path of pursuing their own will. And he's calling them, pleading with them to come back to the good path of his blessing. It's like the old action, old, old saying, you know, in one ear and out the other. There's something else that God is lamenting here. And we see it in verses 13 to, to, to 16. If my people would only listen to me, if Israel would only follow my ways, how quickly I would subdue their enemies and turn their, my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before him and their punishment would last forever. 
but you would be fed with the finest of wheat. With honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. In these words, we have God lamenting not only the fact that they have refused to listen and they're pursuing their own will, but he's also lamenting all the blessings, all the good things that they would, that they would miss because of the direction of their lives. He's lamenting the fact that he has so much he'd like to give them. There's so much he'd like to do in their lives. There's so many ways that he had to pour out his blessing upon them. But they're not listening. So God is lamenting not only their rebellious ways, he's also lamenting all the blessings that he cannot pour into their lives, all the blessings that they are forfeiting because of their selfish, stubborn will and by refusing to listen to him. In, uh, if we turn back a little bit, there's a, a, a something else to point out here. In verse 10, the last part of verse 10, he says, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. And what I see here is uh, just a picture of, uh, it reminds me of um, uh, little robins, baby robins in a nest. And if you ever had the opportunity to peek into a robin's nest when the little babies are small and watch when the mother comes uh, bearing a mouthful of, uh, of uh, gooey, sloppy worms, those little babies all have their mouths wide open. They don't have them just a little bit open. They open it as wide as they possibly can. And so the mother comes back and hears all these little, little mouths wide open waiting for, for the food that she's to provide for them. And uh, I think that's a good picture of what God is saying here too is open your mouth wide, not halfway, not just a little bit. Open it wide and I will, I will just pour it full of blessing. But since they weren't and since their mouths were closed and their ears were closed and their hearts were shut up, God has to lament. He's lamenting what he cannot do in their lives because of their stubborn will. You know, God gave us this, this uh, wonderful gift of a, of a free will. And it's a wonderful gift, but it was a dangerous gift to give us because we could choose to go our own way. And we did. And we still do. And because of that, there's so much that God cannot do in our lives because of our attitude. So we have a painful lament here. Maybe you're experiencing some of that as a parent. Maybe you've lamented those times when you've uh, tried to talk to a child or a young adult in your life, trying to warn them of the direction they were headed, tried to warn them of the consequences of the decisions they were making. And as a parent, you can kind of look down the road and see where the, what the outcome will be and the consequences will be of their choices that they're making at the time. But they re resist it. They ignore it. Or they reject it. Or they give you an assent and nod, and, but they really don't, don't plan to follow your advice or your counsel. And if you've ever been there and felt that, you know maybe a little bit how God was feeling at this time too. As he watched his people go their own way, ignoring him and pursuing their, their own hearts in the wrong direction. Or perhaps maybe you're one of those people who ignored or rejected the advice or counsel of someone who was trying to speak into your life and warned you of the consequences of the choices that you're making at the time. Maybe you're that person. I wouldn't be surprised if some, somebody in the audience hearing this 
could be in that situation that you're living today and dealing today with the consequences of the choices that you made, <clears throat> the consequence of not listening to somebody who tried to warn you and counsel you, but now you're living with the consequences of that. Just as the people of Israel were dealing with the consequences of their choices and of their self-will. It's a reference through all, through all this series in, of a desperate faith, all the Psalms of Asap. They're all written in a time when Israel was dealing with some very hard and difficult, painful things. All the consequences of pursuing their own will and not following God's. So now we want to move to a little bit of a wrap-up here. Um, first we had the observation, a timeless truth, a painful lament. And now the, the take-home lesson. Oh yeah, you're already home, so I guess that won't work. How about, let's call it a take-home delivery then. A take-home delivery message of some sort. I'd like to, to maybe use a couple questions to help us think a little bit. If God still speaks today, and he does, what does that look like in our lives? We've already affirmed that there's many ways that God speaks, and there is. But for the time, sake of our time this morning, um, let's just think about maybe how, how, the, how we hear the Holy Spirit in our lives. Every believer... Every true and genuine believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that spirit, the Spirit's voice is given to us or is purposed in our lives to help us to live a Christ-like life. To, to actually live how Jesus would live in our world. He is the voice, voice of God speaking to our spirit and into our lives. Now, often that is described as a, as in different terms. It's sometimes it's described as, a, as an inner prompting or a nudge or an impression. Sometimes it's the small, still, quiet voice. Sometimes it's just a simply that, that inner witness. And we might hear that, that voice in, in these terms. It might come out something like, talk to that person. Go to that place. Be silent. Speak up. Wait. Encourage that person. That person over there needs help. The time is right. Do it now. Change direction. Leave your job. I've got something better for you to do. I could go on and on. There's different ways that uh, we might hear the Spirit of God speaking to us. But the Spirit is given to us to develop the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, of course, and help us to, to live how Jesus would live, to be his witnesses in our world. And so that wherever we are, we're called, equipped to be the hands and heart and voice of Jesus in our world. But why do some people hear from God and others don't? Hearing from God really doesn't depend on having a theological training or to being bright, to have great intelligence, to have any special abilities. Hearing from God is possible for every believer because every believer has the Holy Spirit inside them. It simply requires a desire to hear from him and a willingness to then respond to what he says or what he reveals to us. It's really a matter of the heart. 
a desire to hear his voice, and then a willingness to obey when he speaks. Sometimes maybe it's just like, like giving, like signing over a, a, a contract, <clears throat> a blank contract. You sign your name at the bottom and you hand it over to God. And then with the, the words of young Samuel, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That's really what it's like to be in the place where you're ready to respond to the Holy Spirit. When you're ready to act upon what he's saying to us. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. In fact, why would God speak to us if we're committed to not doing what he says? And to be honest, sometimes we just don't want God to disrupt our plans. We don't want to leave our comfort zone or give up our self-willed independence. We don't want to fully surrender to his will. And to be honest, probably none of us likes the word obedience. But Jesus used that word in a way of determining whether or not we really loved him. In John 14, Jesus said, He whoever loves me will obey my teaching. Hearing God's voice is, is important. And listening to God's voice isn't a matter of just letting words go in one ear, out the other. It's being willing and committed to respond to what we say, what he says, what he teaches us. A couple of passages here I just want to close with as well. And the first one is from James, the book of James uh, chapter 1. And it uh, speaks very clearly to, uh, to this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word of God but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes his way and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So, it's possible to listen to the word and do nothing about it. But the scripture calls us to not forget what we've heard, but actually act upon it. And this shows up again in the book of Matthew, chapter 7. That familiar passage all, most of us have heard or learned in Sunday school or when we were wise. And it's the parable of the wise and foolish builders. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And of course, it goes on to say the rain and floods came and the, the house stood because it was established on the rock. But back up just a little bit there. The reason for this parable and what Jesus tried to get, get us to understand is that whoever hears these words and puts them into practice is the wise man. But down to verse 6, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And of course, it all collapsed in the end. So the difference between being wise and being foolish is whether or not we just not just hear the word, but actually put it into practice in our lives. That there's some, some, some response to what we've heard. Some response to what the Spirit is, is prompting us. Now I know we 
there's uh, some things out there, some people out there who claim to, to uh, have heard from God and, have, uh, and it's turned out really bad. <clears throat> but just because that is true doesn't mean that we should uh, abandon the truth of the fact that God longs to speak to us. He longs to, to guide us and direct us. The Holy Spirit nudges us and prompts us to act in the way that Jesus would want us to act, to go out and make a difference in our world. Because God is committed to speaking to us. And would it be that, that at the end of it all, um, I hope this is not the case for, for me or for any of us, is that, that God is on this background and scenes are sometimes lamenting over the fact that what he's tried to communicate to us through his word, through the church, through the preaching, teaching of his word, through others, through the trials and troubles that we face and through the pain and hardships of life, and also through the Holy Spirit, that he isn't lamenting that all of that he's tried to communicate has been set aside, has fallen on deaf ears and hard hearts. Do you think he's lamenting about the things that we fail to do because we're just not listening, not willing to listen, or just not willing to respond to what God might be saying to us? And with that, I close. God bless you. I hope uh, you found some encouragement and some challenge in the words I've just shared with you. Amen.